welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, friends, grab your Bibles if you've got them. If you don't, there's some in the back here. Uh, my name's Mike, if we haven't met. We are in week five of a series called Wells and Fences, and I'm going to get right to it because i got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we, this series is based on this idea uh, of, you may have heard the phrase, uh, bounded set and centered set ways of thinking. So there's a little diagram we've been looking at. Uh, bounded sets are often, um, the question is, do you believe what we believe? And if you believe what we believe, then that essentially determines in, out, and where you stand. Centered set is a rather different way of thinking, and it's a, really the important question is, what's at the center? Uh, what direction are you moving? What's your trajectory? What's your momentum? That kind of thing. And so um, this is all wrapped up in a, uh, an exploration of these six affirmations that stand at the center of the covenant church, of which we are becoming a part of. So this morning we're looking at the dependence on the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want to, just to kind of break down how this is going to work, we've we've got a lot of colors that we're working with this morning. So if you think of a painter and a palette, some mornings we kind of paint in all one color and we're headed all towards one idea. Today's more of a a, a smorgasbord, uh, so there may be some parts that you think, how does that really, it's just a lot of different colors. We're trusting that the Spirit will give you and give us what we each need. Um, so I want to start with just some basic theology about the Spirit, because I think it's one of the most misunderstood, one of the most misinterpreted, under, uh, under-emphasized. Uh, ben talked about it earlier. You know, a lot of us are comfortable with the Father and the Son, but when we talk about the Spirit, it gets a little crazy, uh, and maybe some of our experiences would affirm that. But I, I think I would, I would start by, by saying this, that to explore this idea of the Holy Spirit and really saying we want to have a conscious dependence on the Spirit is to continue an exploration about God's revelation to us. Uh, because connected to the Spirit and God's revelation, or I should say connected to God's revelation to us, is the Spirit. Um, we'll find that the Spirit is the one that activates or enables us to actually think and know who this God is. Uh, We said this way in a book called The Covenant Affirmations, we affirm, rooted in historic Christianity, one one God as Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues the creative work of the Father, the redeeming work of the Son within the life of the church. Um, I'm guessing that our experience as it relates to the Holy Spirit is varied. Um, that there's probably a lot of difference. So just kind of don't be as scared here, but I'd love for just kind of by show of hands, uh, answer some of these questions. How many of you feel like you've, you've seen like a good old-fashioned miracle where God did, like the Spirit did something and it was like that person was healed or anybody ever been a part of something like that? Okay, don't be, don't be as scared. Raise your hands. Yeah, a few in the room. How about um, anybody ever seen somebody like delivered uh, sort of, you know, uh, demonic oppression or that kind of thing? Anybody ever seen something like that happen? Yeah, a few of us. Um, curious, anybody ever spoken in tongues before? A few. How many have never spoken in tongues before? That'd be me. I'd be in that camp. Um, what about that? Uh, how many of you would say you've never really seen God do something miraculous before in that camp? A few? Uh, and this is one, uh, yeah. <laughs> Adam's like, that'd be me. <laughs> um, how many would say um, you, you grew up in a church that was like two-thirds Trinitarian? Father, son, yes, not so much the spirit. Anybody in that camp? Yeah, I was definitely there. Um, so a, a, a sort of smattering, a plethora of different experiences that we have with the Spirit. 
Uh, I want to highlight a couple of key things that I think the Spirit does, so just a little bit of theology, and then I want to land this in some real practical, or I hope uh, to be a practical way. And I'll start by just sharing this experience, and it kind of launches me in here. So uh, Laura and I, and uh, we have had the privilege of studying with a rabbi um, over the last couple of years or so. First me, and then Laura was invited into this by actually my good friend, Mr. David Stewart, uh, who has been a part of this as well. So about two, three times a year, Rabbi Allen comes to the Twin Cities, and we uh, sit and we study with this guy. And this is um, one of the most, for me, uh, a person who I just love dearly. Uh, I like, I want to crawl up in this guy's lap when I'm with him. Uh, I am, I've never been held by somebody like I am held by Rabbi Allen, and I aspire to be like him in that way as a pastor. I have a long way to go, but uh, I have a pretty good model. Um, so this last weekend, we, uh, he's in town, and so typically we study on Sunday and Monday. That's our study group. There's two groups that, that have done this, and ours has been Sunday and Monday. And there's another group that meets Friday and Saturday. For a host of reasons, we ended up at the Friday-Saturday group. And last night, as we closed out our studies, I realized that we have gotten totally gypped as the Sunday and Monday people because the Saturday folks actually are studying through Sabbath, right? Friday, sun goes down, Sabbath, they, um, this is how the Jews celebrate Shabbat or Sabbath. And the Saturday group actually participates in this, this blessing at the end of their study time as they sort of usher in Sabbath uh, at the beginning of the study and sort of close or usher out Sabbath at the end. And the end, is, it's, a, it's a, a ritual called Havdalah, blessing. And it's based on these three blessings that are given around the table. So here we are, we're all in this room, the lights are out, there's these two candles you know, being, that, are, that have been lit and they are illuminating the room. And the first blessing is about uh, the wine, and at that point I had brought some homebrew, so we included the homebrew. Uh, and it's really about a blessing, sort of uh, acknowledging the ways in which we have become intoxicated, not literally, but that God has shown up in a way and we just have felt and sensed God's presence in a very intoxicating way. Or we've felt that from one another, or heard a word from somebody that just like filled us up. So we go through that, and then the second blessing is this... this uh, kind of uh, blessing over the spices or the aroma. And so we talked about ways in which we felt, you know, we we, uh, either like actually a physical aroma that somebody had smelled or ways in which something just lingered for us. Uh, And then the last blessing is this, the blessing of the Havdalah candles. And these two candles are lit on the table. And as I'm sitting around this table, it's just one of these sacred moments and like everybody in the room knows it. Like it, it is so thick you could cut it. And I'm looking at all of these faces and I'm realizing that it's the the light of these candles that is illuminating the faces of the people around this table. And the last part of the Havdalah blessings is the extinguishing of the candles. And so uh, Rabbi Allen tells about this and and in between this, we're singing these like literally like, you know, pub sort of, sort of like Jewish uh, melodies. And I'm, I'm sitting there, I look at Laura at one point and I go, is this actually happening? It was just awesome. So the end of it, it, it we extinguish one of the candles and then Rabbi Allen says, Micah, would you uh, extinguish the last candle? And it dawned on me. I have never thought, in that moment, my thought was, it will be over. And I never thought of Sabbath like that before. Sabbath for me was always something I should do. It's always something that I ought to do. It was something that 
I knew that I should discipline myself to participate in because it would bear fruit in my life. But that was the first moment I thought to myself, oh, it will be over. Like this blessing, this time, this to be together and to experience this moment. And it dawned on me that as I extinguished this candle, that it was just darkness had covered the room. And that which was life-giving no longer was illuminated. That which was filled with the breath of God was now in darkness. And just these pictures and symbols of the light of God coming into the world and the breath of God and all this stuff. And I share that story with you because I want to start by saying the Spirit of God is that which illuminates. It brings to life. It allows us to see the things that give life primarily, and I think scripture would, would, would say this, that it illuminates this Jesus to us. Uh, the Holy Spirit continues the creative work of the Father and the redeeming work of the Son. So this is basic Christian theology here, uh, and, and I think many of us take this for granted, but the idea is that God in the Bible is revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit. And if you didn't know this, this actually took a long time for the church to get to this conclusion. It wasn't until 325, 225 years or 200 years after Jesus' death that the church came to any conclusion that in fact God is revealed to us in this sort of Trinitarian form. Um, One of the reasons this is so difficult is that the word Trinity, it does not exist in the Bible at all. So this idea that's very central to the Christian faith never actually appears in the Bible. Rather, we get these passages where God is spoken of as Father, and God is spoken of as the Son, and God is spoken of as the Spirit. And it's not until this guy named Tertullian, dynamite name, he says this, he says that God, Father, Son, and Spirit were, in, were one in essence and different in person. And in fact, later as these councils meet and they talk about who this God is and how we understand God, there were people who were, who had divergent thinking about this, that God wasn't one substance or one essence, but was of similar substance. Uh, And they actually, uh, many of them were sort of uh, uh, banished from the church and deemed heretics, and they were given a free t-shirt on their way out the door. So it's a big deal. This idea in Christian history is a very, it was central in the early part of the church. So the spirit of God, being in one essence with God, has a particular role in the ongoing activity of God in the world. John 14 says this, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. So Jesus speaks of the Father and the Son and the Spirit who will remind you, will illuminate, will show you all of the things I have taught you and shown you and done in your midst. And so there's this idea in in Christianity, in Christian theology, that the Spirit is that which illuminates for us. It's that which allows us to see or experience or know what God has revealed in and through Jesus. And so if God is done revealing, if God is done speaking, then there's no need for the Spirit, right? Right? I mean, if, if, the, if it's, it's a closed deal and God's done saying whatever it is God wants to say, then we don't need the Spirit of God. But in fact, if God is not done speaking, revealing, leading, guiding, then we need the Spirit because this is what the Spirit does, illuminates, gives light to. This happened to my roommate in college, uh, a guy named Alec. He 
atheist before, uh, antagonistically atheist uh, towards Christians and opened up the gospel and begins to read about this Jesus, which he had done many times before. But when we, when we open ourselves up to and allow or become open to, the spirit illuminates and gives us eyes to see what is in front of us or this Jesus who in fact is the son of God. Now, I want to offer a challenge to us at Awaken uh, as I've been thinking about this. And this is maybe a bit old school um, in one sense, but in an effort to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I want to ask the question, is there anybody that you are actively praying for? Is there anybody in your life who you are actively seeking and asking God, God, would you illuminate? Would, you, would your spirit illuminate and bring up so that they can see who this Jesus is? I would encourage you to write it down. I know, it seems really old school, right? You remember, you know, you like post it, put it on the mirror and you'd pray for these people? If this is true, if the Spirit illuminates Jesus and allows us to see, remember, remember the story of Paul and Acts, right? He's Saul and he's blinded and then Ananias prays for him and these scales come off of his eyes and the Spirit is there and Paul can see this Jesus for who he really is. So maybe a challenge that I have been working through this week that I want to offer to us. Uh, I would say second, not only does the Spirit illuminate uh, this Jesus to us, but leads us to truth. Uh, if you have your Bibles, John 16, I'm going to start in verse 7. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me and will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine and that is why the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This idea, this wells and fences idea, bounded set, centered set, I gotta be honest, uh, this is a difficult task and it's, and it's quite frankly, it's, it can be a little dangerous and there are some people who would be critical of this and say, actually, this is a lot easier. It's not as messy. It's black and white. Everybody knows where we all stand. And, they would, and I would say they're right on that. But what we're offering as a possibility is something very, very different and is absolutely dependent on. We cannot do that without the Spirit's presence among us because the Spirit illuminates, the Spirit shows, the Spirit guides us to truth. What does the text say that the Spirit does? John says a couple things. He says, the Spirit convicts us of sin. Unfortunately, many of us know that the church has assumed this role of being the ones who convict of sin, uh, the moral police in the world. And so we find people on street corners and with banners and signs saying, this is what your, this is what your sin is, and let me be the one to show it to you. Can I just submit the possibility that that's not your job? It's not our job. It's not the church's job. In fact, it's the Spirit's job, primarily. 
It is the Spirit of God at work in the world that convicts and, and illuminates that which is off the mark. Not you, not me. The Spirit leads us into truth. If we believe that, if we believe that that's true, and that this is not just a, a, some bizarre story about a guy who may or may not have lived 2,000 years ago by a bunch of people who got together and decided, if we believe that's true and there's something more here, and the Scriptures say that the Spirit leads us to truth, why are we so afraid? Why is the dominant spirit among Christians often fear? I would submit that we don't actually believe that. If the Spirit leads us to truth, it's like, ah, for me, as I think about it, what a weight off of my shoulders. What a weight off of our shoulders. We follow the lead of this resurrected Jesus. And the Spirit among us, if the Spirit is among us, leads us to that which is true. If this is possible this centered set idea where Jesus is at the center, I would submit that we have to have the Spirit illuminating, creating light for us to see and leading us to truth. Let me, let me land this thing with maybe just a practical... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Noodling? Um, a practical musing. Uh, there are a couple of passages in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, we'll start there. I'll just kind of highlight some things and then read a couple of select passages because I want to show something that we find the Spirit doing. And this one could get me fired at a lot of churches. So, are you excited now? (laughs) Acts chapter 10, we find a guy named Peter. He's an apostle, and he meets a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman. Peter's a Jew. uh, Cornelius is a Gentile. Major, major difference between these two people in the story of God as it's told in the scriptures. Jew, Gentile. Peter has a dream, and in the dream, the spirit shows up in the form of an angel and tells Peter, there's all these animals, and tells Peter, kill and eat. Peter, in his dream, essentially is like, whoa, 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 right? Jew of Jews, good kosher Jew, does not eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols or does not eat animals that are unclean. These are animals that are unclean. And Peter says, listen, I can't do that. I can't eat what's unclean. I've never done that. It will defile me. And the Spirit says to Peter, and I quote, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. Peter goes on and he wakes from the dream and he goes to Cornelius' house, the Gentile. And he goes in and he tells them essentially like, I'm a little nervous about this, right? Because essentially what's happening here, what I'm doing is not, uh, I'm, I'm, you, gent, I'm, I'm a Jew, I'm a clean, ceremonially pure, and you're Gentiles, you're not. For me to be here is sort of, it's a little, I'm in a sticky wicket, right? But he says, he says, God has shown me to not call impure what he has made pure. And so, In Acts 10, it says this, While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished. They couldn't believe it, that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to the Gentiles, the unclean, impure, uncircumcised Gentiles, those who are not covenant people of God. And yet we find the Spirit there. 
Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Here's the deal. Peter, according to the scriptures, it is very, very clear that these folks are not covenant people of God. They are not circumcised. They're Gentiles. They are outside of in. This is what Torah says. Peter, being a good Jew, knows this. And yet we find that the Spirit moves beyond what Peter knows to be true from Scripture. Now, this debate keeps going and it gets a little bit more intense and there's a whole lot more on the line we shall soon find out. Acts chapter 15, Peter, or Paul and Barnabas are in a city. They've, ta- they've told these people about Jesus, Gentiles. They have said yes to following Christ. There's all these new Gentile believers and Paul and Barnabas find out that there's a group of people, unnamed at first, this group of believers, some believers had come and told them essentially, okay, guys, here's the deal. Really, really excited about you following this Jesus. And, uh, but here's the deal. The peop- those of us who have been the people of God, we kind of had, there, there was a small detail that was left out. And it has to do with, well, let's call it um, a private part. And we have had to be circumcised and you have not. And so in order for you to follow this Jesus, you have to be circumcised and follow the law. Now, you can imagine what these people might have said. Oh, no. You've got to be kidding me, right? Like, these are Gentiles. Who, and these people have come back to them and said, I, I love it, really excited about your gig here, but here's the dealio. Line them up, <laughs> drive your doors, and we're going to start going to, going to town here. Now, as you can imagine, this creates a massive scenario where people are like, no way does that have to happen. Like, or there's got to be a workaround here. There's got to be a loophole. We'll bring in the attorneys. We got to find the loophole, baby. No pun. <laughs> I think we have a couple of attorneys. One, one was sitting up here earlier. Um, so, they, so Paul and Barnabas get sent back to Jerusalem where there's this massive council in Acts chapter 15, where the apostles, the newest leaders of the churches, are trying to figure out how to handle this. Because clearly, the scripture says, non-covenant people, outside of in, not circumcised, impure Gentiles, and yet, the spirit of God, there's fruit. We don't know what to do with that. And so in a very highly technical well-crafted theological treatise, they write back to these churches and they say this in Acts 15. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. (laughs) Which is code word for, we have no idea what we're doing here. (laughs) And... And we're not really sure what's happening, in fact, but it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, which is clearly present, and to us, because if we were you, we wouldn't want that. I mean, right? It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything but the following. Abstain from food sacrificed to idols, you know, blood, meat strangled from animals, and sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. And do you notice, like, even in that, there's like a concession. Because if you're going to go that far, then by, by, if you take the idea by which they're making that decision, then they ought to go all the way and say nothing. 
Nothing of the old law applies to you. But even in the midst of that, they're trying to navigate, like, how do we do this? And they say, listen, just don't eat stuff that are sacrificed to idols. Don't, you know, be sexually impure. If you, if you, you do well to avoid those things and good luck. Here's the question I would like to pose. What do you do when the scripture is clear and it prohibits what, fill in the blank, and we find the spirit of God out beyond Q. Rumi in the poem, in a field out beyond ideas of right doing and wrong doing. I will meet you there. What do you do? How do we do that? How do we navigate that? Is it closed? Is, is God done revealing, speaking, saying anything new? Is, it, is, it, is that it? Because if it is, we don't need the Spirit, and it's all there. And yet, it would appear that I've heard some of you ladies speaking in this gathering. None of you are wearing head coverings. It would, it would appear that the scripture, Paul, is very, very clear about your place in this community. You are not to speak. You're not to teach over a man. You're not to be elders in our community. You're to wear head coverings when you pray, and you're to be silent and ask your questions later when you get home to your husband. It's, it's friends, it's really clear. And yet, praise the living God that this is not what we believe God has for you. Can I get an amen, ladies? Do you see what's happening here? Somehow, we have worked with, walked with, navigated the spirit of God, and at this point, on this issue, we find that the spirit is beyond where the text takes us or the text stops. And some communities, like, stick with the text, and it's in there, and so we do it, and that's it. No questions. But you're here. And our community has said, we think that the Spirit gifts all, regardless of gender, and that Paul's admonition to women is more connected to context and culture, and the fact that in that space there were cults, sexual cults that had prophetesses who were at the top of these cults who lorded their sexual power over the people who were in the cult. And Paul's admonition to the women is not for women forever, but rather, for the sake of the gospel, don't speak in your gatherings. Don't do these things. Because if you do, you might be confused with what's happening over here and the gospel would get... So for the sake of the gospel, not because you can't, but abstain. And I'm not going to answer the question this morning. I have led you here on purpose, premeditated, because I want you to wrestle with that question. What do we do when we find the Spirit out in front of the apostles all throughout the book of Acts. How do we do that? 
how do we walk that as a community? Do we, in fact, depend on the Holy Spirit, which is present in the church, leading and guiding to truth? Or is, it a clo- is, it, is, is God done speaking? As we close, uh, Kaylee is uh, our artist-in-residence this month, and she has written uh, a poem that we thought would be interesting to close with and maybe appropriate, because I think if we're honest, sometimes this walking with Jesus and doing community and life together as we depend on the Spirit, it's not always neat and tidy and black and white. And sometimes things happen in life where we don't understand and we don't have answers for them. And it doesn't happen the way that we thought it would or should or could. And we're found in this tension of, do I believe that God is present among, or, or am I alone in this? Is there a God who has given his spirit to lead us and guide us and comfort us and walk with us or are we on our own here? And so this is a a very real and raw poem about an experience that Kaylee has been walking through and walked through where uh, the Spirit's guidance and presence is and remains to be necessary. Uh, So I'm going to ask Kaylee if you would come and um, lead us in that. Cathartically. I wear a blue blanket slung across my shoulders the way a shepherd holds a once wandered lamb. Pulling the fabric over my unwashed hair, knotted as wool, I wonder what he looks like and manage only the skin of a man who is not my father. His hand on her back, her breast. Someone has died on the television. An ironically summer day in a cemetery, Hollywood flowers on the propped casket. A mother cries, her lungs bend, but the muscles never break. I swallow the actress's dead daughter tears until my owner found. The blanket catches salt, blotches of dark blue. I braille the familiar threads under my fingertips Yield to the heart broken and wait for the shepherd's crook to lead me back. Thanks, Kaylee. Sometimes we skip to the end of the story too quick. As followers of Jesus, we hold on to the resurrection, um, the power of redemption, as we should. Sometimes we're not allowed, though, to be where we're at. Uh, the road along to that journey. And so just like Kaylee's poem is expressing that moment of, God, where are you now? I want to give that to you this this, uh, morning too, to just be wherever you're at, um, to be like David in the Psalms. When you're trying to follow the Spirit, it's important to start with being authentic. 
So I uh, just want to encourage you to just, whatever you need to do, just be alone with God right now, together. Uh, close your eyes or just focus on Him. Just let these words of this song uh, minister to you.
stand as we close? One of our hopes at Awaken is that we create a space wide enough for people at all places and recognize that many of us in the room are at a place where it's the question is, God, I don't know. Where are you? And so as a community, we want to hold up this idea, this truth that we believe exists, and allow that truth, though we may not sense it or feel it, to inform our actions. And sometimes we know that our experience, where we sense that, God, you are present and you are real, informs our belief, and that it's both. So pray with me if you would, God, as we gather in this place every week and we gather around this well of a God who loves, a God who is love, and who creates and breathes and illuminates and brings life, and a God who sends his very own to buy back that which has been lost and offer new life. God, we depend on your presence and your spirit to illuminate, to awaken our souls to this truth. And God, for those that can't carry it, we carry it together. So may we be found faithful as a community, following hard after you, and depending on your spirit present in our midst to lead us to truth, to guide us, to give us life. May we find it in nothing else. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Grace and peace. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.